Welcome everyone! You are now in a safe place where we converse, explore, reflect, connect and deep dive into our inner world together so we can uplift ourselves and our lives. My name is Astuti Marto Sudirjo, I am your host and this is Uplift My Life Today, the podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back into the Uplift My Life Today podcast. It's great to have you joining me again today. And da, 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 the topic is self-love and self-care. For all of us go-getters, these topics are ones that we often think as good and beautiful, but they may not come natural to us either and to reflect and contemplate about these topics self-love and self-care I am joined by three wonderful guests who hands on heart I consider to be go-getters alpha go-getters okay and they are the people that I've known for many many years consistently showing up in their lives, being very true to their goals, being very committed, very uh, dedicated to what they want to achieve. They build families, they nurture families, they grow, they move around the world for their careers. Everything that I see when I see the word go-getters. And these wonderful people are here to share their journey, their relationship, what they learn about self-love and self-care. So without further ado, please join me to welcome Anna Matson, Hugo Diaz, and Dio Onyango. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Adi. <laughs> hey, hello. <Yeah. laughs> hello. <laughs> Thank you, Adi. You're most welcome. So just a nota bene here, Adi is my nickname and feel free to call me Adi. <laughs> I'm usually called Astuti as a grown-up, but yeah. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can get used to calling you Astuti. I know, I know. <laughs> no. no, it's Adi, Adi. So, yeah, that tells you how far it is. <laughs> yes, we we got to know each other when we were at unis, right? Yeah. yeah. Guys, please share a little bit information about who you are and what are you thinking or what are you feeling or if anything came to mind when you th- hear the word retirement? So um, for me, uh, when I think of retirement, I, I think of ultimate freedom to choose whatever you want to do. Um, and, and and I don't think I'll ever really retire in the sense of not working because I enjoy my work. I've always been working towards, you know, freeing myself from stuff that I don't want to do and 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 uh, just focusing on the stuff that I like doing. And I think, you know, by the time it is really retirement, I'll probably do more. I mean, it, it'll be filtered even more, if that mm. makes sense. So my name is Hugo Diaz. I am originally from Guatemala, uh, born and raised there. Um, I currently live in the U.S. in Austin, Texas, although I still have part of my business in Guatemala. And I still, or at least before the pandemic, I was still going almost every month. Now I'm kind of like staying put a little more. But, um, but and I'm in the software business here in the U.S., uh, software for the healthcare industry. 
I'm Anna Matson. I'm currently based in Zurich, Switzerland, but I'm originally from, from Sweden and grew up in Germany. I, I have been now since uni, which is a long time ago, I've been now almost working for 20 years in professional services and consulting. Uh, and I've specialized in an area that's mergers and acquisitions. So I really help companies buy other companies or sell parts of their companies. And then how do you actually integrate it or how do you actually sell it and carve it out? Love that work because I always say it's like a mini MBA on the job every single day. I did that um, at a firm called Deloitte. And last year I retired from that firm because I was a partner. And I actually, in order to leave a firm and do something else, I actually had to retire and like so I actually have a retirement agreement already. For me, that word means like really the starting point of a changing, changing the way I live, the way I work. And so I have no fear for retirement whatsoever. I think before I always looked at it as something to be scared, like mm-hmm. scared of. And now I just see it as probably similar to Cuba. It's like freedom, right? Freedom to choose what you want to do. But for me, it's I don't need to wait till I'm 65 to retire. I'm going to be able to retire from a job I don't like. And I'm going to go and be able to do what I want. So for me, it's a start of freedom as well. Perfect. Hi, Ade. Thank you very much. And I'm really honored to join this podcast. And thank you for inviting me. My name is Dale Nyango. I'm based in uh, Kenya. Um, and actually, I, I'm joining this from a very remote village where uh, my family comes from. So this is in the western part of Kenya. So, um, my background is, uh, you know, over the last 25 years, I've had a great opportunity. I studied, grew up in Kenya, went to university, undergrad in Kenya. I had the opportunity to join ISAC, which kind of opened up the whole world to me. So I had, I experienced what ISAC is truly about. I went to Austria, stayed there for two years. I joined the international team, moved to Rotterdam, stayed there for a year and a half. I was able to join uh, Citigroup, went through their financial analyst program for a year and a half in uh, Geneva, where you know, luckily I had the opportunity to work with Ade for a year. Then I had the opportunity to be in Switzerland with Ade for another year and a half. So that was kind of great when we were both sort of in the kind of programs of she was at UBS, I was at uh, Citigroup. And then I moved to London with Citigroup and I really kind of deepened my career or at least established, uh, let's say, let's call it the first, established a career outside of ISEC, which was all about uh, bringing people together, I established a career in financing and uh, specialized, um, went to a, got a master's in uh, financing and really deepened my uh, career around structured financing and spent uh, nine years with Titi Group that helped me to uh, establish that part. Um, and that really, I would say, was that sort of a fast career. And then in that experience of going through the master's, I learned where my true sort of interests were. And I realized that structured finance meant that I would really be a quantitative finance person staying in London, moving from one bank to the other. But I was more interested in project finance. And that made me then look at opportunities that would help me get into project finance. I was introduced to General Electric, um, their capital division. I actually went straight into a project finance team uh, and then that led me back into their Africa team as GE was establishing in Africa. And, you know, as you know, luck would have it, I ended up with GE, but back in Kenya, in Nairobi. And that's where I've spent the last 11 years. Full so, circle. You know, do the full circle. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And as we said in Isaac, you, you, you get your experiences, you're supposed to go home, 
I actually kind of lived through that. Um, and then, you know, now I'm actually at absolute crossroads because I September 30th, so just last week was my last day at GE after 12 years mm-hmm. um, where I decided to leave GE and I decided to actually, you know, establish a career in a direction that means something more for me. Um, so when you ask about retirement, it's it's very interesting because I've gone through this journey uh, starting from, I would say, um, starting from the last quarter, sorry, the second half of last year where I was dissatisfied with everything I was doing. And I kept on saying to my wife that I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep traveling the way I was traveling. Last year was probably the highest travel rate that I had in my whole career. I traveled 70% of the time. I was not at home. Uh, you know, at that time, I had a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I was not at home. And that just, just there was something not right with that. And as I, anyway, it, it definitely was not good for our relationship, mm-hmm. I can tell you that, uh, with my wife, Nicola. And so, you know, you reach a point of dissatisfaction with, yes, it's great. You've got this managing director role, and you're doing great. You're managing a whole team. At that point of time, I was the uh, onshore wind renewable energy leader for sub-Saharan Africa. So great, you know, you're being invited to all these conferences. You're talking about the efficacy of, you know, renewable energy, but, you know, and you get all these accolades, but they mean nothing when you come back and you realize that, um, you know, between Friday evening and, 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 and Monday morning, right, you've got your family and you're just not there because you're tired, you're irritable, you know, you're not engaged. Uh, you don't know what's been going on, so you're trying to catch up. At the same time, you're trying to, you know, position yourself. And I knew that something had to change. So mm-hmm. I started at the beginning of this year to go through that journey of asking myself what it is that I want to do. And 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 that's when I kind of, I just fell into this, um, I think it was a YouTube discussion of a guy who talked about life in general. And he said that life, in life, we go through four careers for real solid careers. You've got that initial career when you kind of bring yourself out, uh, just post-university, and you're just trying to find yourself, right? You're just mm-hmm. establishing yourself. It's the bachelor's pay, you know, phase, and you're just trying to find yourself, right? So you don't know where you're going. And I think Isaac was very good for us because it, it allowed us to be able to do more than the average person with marketing, selling ourselves, engaging, you know, selling opportunities and, and all of that. So it, it helped us expose ourselves, you know, human resources, managing the institution. So it, it gave us a good framework to test the idea of just establishing ourselves. So that's why we were relatively marketable when we went into the job. Then there's your second career, which is you get to the point where you find what you want to do, or, or at least society kind of channels you into something that says this human being is going to contribute in this particular sector. So that's what happened to me. And finance became that for me. Um, And I think finance and then GE and then GE within GE going into renewables has been my second career. As I'm leaving GE now, and I go back to what I, this, this thought process, it's finding my third career, which is now you have developed some element of expertise, but you also have a thought process that says, I want. It's not society dictating, but it's also you saying, I want. I want to go in this direction. And that's kind of where I am right now. So the choices I'm making about what I want to do has very much everything to do with 
I want to do this because I feel happy about doing this. And this, you know, given all the experiences that I've had, this is what I'd like to do, right? And then retirement, he says the fourth career is really that point where we say in, in, in the societal ways when you reach a certain age, but in truth, you could start your retirement early or later. It doesn't matter, right? It's when you say, now I have established beyond just I want, I now have a body of knowledge that I want to share. And that's the continuation of the fact that you find how you just kind of, you you are now a source of knowledge for the rest of society, right? Um, so you don't really retire, but you find a way to contribute because you, the, the factor of contributing in old age, right? Because somehow retirement is associated with old age. In old age, you're seen as a sage. So, you know, your fourth career is when you combine the two, being seen as a sage and you have a body of experience that you can actually share. So for me, that's that's what I see retirement as. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Dio. I I must say my my retirement, when I think about it, is very much the key. The key things for me is how can I continue to contribute? Um, probably the way would be very different than how I do it now. But that was a very key, very important key for me also for retirement. It's not, it's far from my grandparents' way of retirement. They were thinking of resting. I, I actually wasn't thinking that. Oh, I'm not thinking that at all. <laughs> it's like, how can I stay active, stay engaged, contributing in the way that um, perhaps in, in the, from the perspective of the sage role? No, I think it's a really good point, right? That I don't think for us, for many people now these days, retirement is this kind of like you've been working really, really hard your life and you're waiting for retirement to just take it easy and not do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially for like the kind of people we we are and the people we hang out with. Um, and also we don't do those kind of hard labor jobs, right? I think it's the kind of jobs we do. There's why would you have to stop that at 65, right? It's yes. a lot of knowledge jobs and a lot of things where you, you know, you, you gain the knowledge so you be actually be able to contribute. And there's a big debate going on here around the retirement age and why does it have to be so low? Because with 65, mm-hmm. where I live, you know, there's probably another good 30 years to have it. you with being, you know, yes. just going to sit around. And, yes, yeah. Yeah. correct. And people also tend not to have too many children these yes. days. That that is also to balance off the retirement. Can we actually retire? Hey, actually, actually, no, no, no. So that's that's a very interesting uh, comment. You know what? Statistics show that the biggest uh, point of where relationships actually break up is when the kids leave the empty nester. So it's the children actually are not even a factor in this, right? Because all of a sudden, it's it's actually interesting. Kids give you something to leave four together when the kids leave then you all of a sudden you're staring at each other and you're like "Ooh!" so as part of that discussion around retirement is how do you prepare yourself as parents of children the engagement between yourself but at that point in time that where your kids live because it just like we left our homes at around eight you know we went to university 18 so between 18 and 23 we sort of sort of left but we were still dependent and then 22 23 we just left right Mm -hmm. if you think about it our parents were just the two of them right so they have to you have to prepare yourself to be an empty nester as well as well as thinking about how do i contribute and how do i create a positive stimulus for myself that keeps me going Mm -hmm. that said 
thinking of how you see retirement and how you pace yourself for this life, where do self-care and self-love fit into this? I can take a stop because I think it's actually a really hard question yes. for people like us to answer, at least for me, because I'm I don't have the the wisdom that uh, you and you really already have. I would say for me, you know, I would have said if 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 you'd asked me a year ago um, or year a year and a half ago, um, I would have been no, no, I'm totally taking care of myself. But I was running at 180 miles per hour. I was working insane hours. Um, I would come into an air like into a, into an airplane, and the so the steward would be like, "Oh, it's so nice to see you. I'm so glad you're flying all the time with us because you really keep our jobs alive." And you know, I would get comments like that because I was traveling so much. I was, you know, working like like everything, right? Like all the things you would do. Um, and then if I wasn't working, it was being there for the kids, right, and doing you know organizing stuff for like shuffling them around, like getting them to activities. And I think at some point, there was just no more time for me. There was no time to think about, you know, what do I want? How do I, like, taking care of myself? Um, I actually had a coach a couple of years ago. She's like, Anna, where's your me time? And I was like, well, I don't have any time for that. And I think for me, a big, big lesson learned is you need to, you need to create that because um, you need to really take care of yourself because otherwise you're not going to be able to be there either for the job or for your family. Um, so I'm going to be very candid and I had, you know, last year I really got to the point where I couldn't continue doing my job. So I resigned, mm-hmm. um, which was hard after 16 years in one firm. And it really felt like that felt like part of my family yeah. and literally in the same, like a month before I had moved out of the house and separated. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about empty nester, right. But it's, it's all of like, I had all of that happening in the same time. And I do think Thinking back, I think if I take maybe a little bit more care of myself, said no more on all fronts, mm-hmm. um, and just taking the step, gone a bit slower, I could have gone faster in the end, yeah. right? But I think, I mean, I, I think I was lucky that I didn't have a total breakdown, but it was probably very, very close. Very close. And the best thing that's happened to me was uh, like having nine months off, not actually working, just being there for the kids, trying to like patch things back up together. And I think with everything that's bad about COVID, for me, it really forced me to take it slow because I actually had planned to be doing a hundred things. Even during this time, I was going to travel. I was going to do all the things I hadn't had time to do. Mm-hmm. And instead, I was just at home with the kids and that was it, right? And just had to take it really slow. Mm-hmm. And I have very much changed perspective. So having now started a new job, 1st of September, in a strategy consulting, doing M&A, I find the trade-offs much, much harder to make. Mm-hmm. So when I have to work hard, I, you know, it's, I, I just, I don't do it as naturally. I don't do it as, you know, I'll really think about which meetings I take, where I say yes, where I say no, and really trying to protect myself. Because I do, I, I know I love the work, so I need that mm-hmm. to create energy. But I also know I can't do everything because then there's no more time for me and no more time for the kids. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Anna. Wow. Thank you so much. Lots happened. Yes. <laughs> Lots of learning happened. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, so in my case, I guess uh, I, I separate self-love and self-care. I think they're, they're in, in, in some ways uh, two different things. Although obviously, you know, they're related. But uh, uh, in, in my experience, I mean, and, and I'll probably share, you know, the self-love first, because that's the, the, the one that I hit a, a point where I realized um, uh, I was mixing uh, self-worth with net worth 
And uh, whenever my net worth was going up, and, and I, I mean, as, as all of us, we had really high goals. And as an entrepreneur, I was like hitting every goal, right? I, I got to a point where, you know, I was like, okay, my company is worth a lot of money. And so on paper, I'm, I'm, I'm worth, I mean, a lot of money and I'm w- where I want to be. I could retire, whatever. And, um, uh, and so I started thinking, and maybe I was fantasizing a little more, right? I mean, I, I did a, a change like, like Anna did in some ways. So in, at the same time, I decided to start a new business um, and uh, because the other one was doing okay and I kind of was bored already because, you know, it, it was running on its own apparently or according to me um, and uh, and changed countries, right? So I, I came to the U.S. with my MBA and I decided, okay, I, I, I want to uh, focus on, on, on a new business in a new country and I have this other cash cow uh, that's uh, funding everything. Um, while I was uh, here doing my MBA, 2008 happened. Um, and, uh, you know, the financial crisis and, you know, long story short, the business, we lost uh, like 40% of our sales in a matter of months. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, everything was collapsing and I was like, wow. So everything that was supposed to be, you know, here or whatever was worth on paper, which just was like going down. And, and I fell into this uh, I, I, I didn't depression because I wasn't, it was not a depression, but I felt into this like, oh my gosh, what's happening? I mean, everything that I supposedly achieve is, you know, falling apart. And, and I was like questioning, the good news is my my um, MBA program had a course called Life of Meaning. And it made me really question, why am I doing this? I mean, is, is it really what I want to do? I mean, it was a, an interesting venture. I mean, we were selling ringtones in Latin America. So, I mean, it was very profitable for a while. Uh, but I knew that it, it had an expiration date and it wasn't something that I felt like, okay, I'm going to change the world one, one ring to one at a time. Right. <laughs> so I, I was like, okay, I, I want to do something else. And that's, uh, that's why I wanted to start something else. But, but the point is I was at that bottom where I was like, wow. So what does it mean? I mean, do I measure myself? Do I, do I measure how my identity as an entrepreneur and do I measure the value I have for the value I've created? And I realized I, I, I had mistakenly mixed those two together. It, it, it was, it's a very different thing who I am and, and what I value myself to what I've achieved. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but because we are overachievers, or at least that, that was my case, right? You measure your, yourself against your achievements. And, and, and that was a hard lesson for me. But I'm, I mean, it took, took that hit to learn. But, and after that, I've been in a journey, you know, back up. But, um, uh, but at least I have that clarity now that I shouldn't mix those two. Net worth is not the same as self worth. Yeah. <laughs> That's very good. A good mantra. <laughs> Even rhymes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice one. Nice one. Yeah. Yeah. No. To mine, I, I, I think I, I just, um, I come from a very traditional family. You know, my mom was a teacher. My dad was initially, you know, trained more. Um, uh, so my mom is 83, so you can imagine my dad was, he would be 87 right now, uh, trained initially as a teacher, and then he went into government uh, pre-colonial, in the colonial period, and then pre-independence Kenya, went into the government and worked in the Ministry of Natural Resources and, um, you know, ended up being sort of somebody who worked in conservation, right? But it wasn't like he shared that idea of conservation. No, he worked at the ministry and he did what he needed to do um and that was it right it wasn't like oh yeah conservation is so great um my mom as a teacher was a drill sergeant right because she couldn't afford her kids to be bad performers in school so <laughs> you just had to perform right mm-hmm. and and both of them if you think about what their 
discussion with us about our futures were it was all about a you need to go to school you need to get to the highest level which is university and then after that you will be fine right so in their idea just going to school was enough i mean sports yeah yeah that's good but go to school and you're great right music or whatever i mean that, no why are we even wasting time with that go and study right <laughs> So it's and, and unfortunately that's for a lot of us is the societal programming that we get about where we should be and where we should go and what's our purpose in life, right? So I, I think I'm just a pure child of that. Now the, the great thing is exposure with Isaac kind of opened up the world and but I still was always I mean, I remember when we were in Isaac having conversation with various friends who are big entrepreneurs today i spent with you hugo you and i spent quite a lot of time together you were very entrepreneurial from the get go but i just couldn't see that the idea of entrepreneurs like you know you um you know guys who kind of set up their own uh student sort of websites uh fernando bendes that comes to mind um even you know mind value the founder of mind value comes to mind like all of these guys were talking about all of these ideas were looking at being entrepreneur for me it was a, a very clear very solid thick wall as thick as can be i was like no way i need to go into solid career and please that's nice to talk about but i just don't have the capacity to do that so <laughs> obviously finance working for a bank Oh man, you could you should see the pom-poms that people heard when it's like, oh yeah, he's going to do this, right? So and that was the societal problem. He's working in a he's working with a bank. Hooray, we're now good, right? So you do that and then you realize at some point in time, okay, it's banking is great, but I just don't enjoy this, right? So thank goodness I was able to go into a masters and I did a masters that also opened a lot of insight and just like you Hugo you know being at LBS in my class 30 students um doing masters of financing everybody coming from all over the world with a very different idea so it wasn't about the the coursework and that's what i really loved about being in that masters course the coursework yeah i mean you were spoon fed you'd have to work very hard to fail right so it meant the experiences of being able to spend time together and learn about people starts kind of prodding you and asking yourself like are you this societal programming is it really what you want so it starts prodding you in a different direction that's what happened to me i joined ge and that kind of helped me and it's also where i learned uh, you know obviously with isaac i learned that you know you ask and you shall be given right and you know i think i have all of the jobs that i've had in the last maybe 15 years has been a function of talking to people establishing like maybe I'm I'm sort of interested in this what do you think you know having mentors that you kind of discuss with and somehow they always it always kind of shapes into the way that you know helps so that's kind of helped but it's just helped me also go through that journey and I I value the last five and a half six years with NG that I got introduced inadvertently into renewable energy because that then gave me a chance to then under open up a world since 2014 to actually start looking at renewables in a different light so that's kind of helped now when i take all of that and i look at self care and self love uh, my pure understanding i mean self care 
there's so many sort of deep experiences like do I really take care of myself and I've gone through journeys of absolutely not taking care of me mm-hmm. um to realizing that I need me to be okay to be able to be a good contributor to the stakeholders around me starting with my kids my wife my family um and my friends right um self love is where you know you abuse your own body right and and we did that so I was when I was young I totally abused my body I just my health I, I didn't give a damn about it because you know what the next day I somehow always recovered and I was good to go right and then you realize in older age that it's <laughs> recovery is very hard right? <laughs> after okay. a certain age you're like okay yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> And then, and then Ade comes along and tells you, "Can you combine the two, self care and self love?" And you're like, "Oh, now this is now even harder, right?" So at this moment in time, I think I'm, I'm, I, I can share anecdotes of what I think it is, but my basic principle and what I'm sort of learning, you know, is, for example, you know, there are two things that I've now started doing really a lot. I've started to to spend a lot of time doing medical meditation and yoga and mm-hmm. i look at meditation and yoga as a resource to find myself mm-hmm. and i'm still in that journey of trying to find myself right and i've got a lot of questions about who's me i've got a lot of ideas about what i want to do that makes me happy i've gone through a journey just like you anna or it just it's not sustainable that that high life of you 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 got into the plane and they're like welcome back mr onyango and you're like oh this feels so good i'm so they treasure me and then you, after some time and and actually anna i was going to say i like when you said about covid yeah. i have been a big beneficiary of covid it's given me time since march 24 this week is the first week that i've not had breakfast and dinner with my kids just because i went to spend a week with my mom because we couldn't visit her just under that covid situation this is the first week i have not had breakfast and dinner with my kids and my wife i i mean i would never have had that for me this even this conversation is a real part of that discovery <music> Why do you think you become go-getters? Programming? You you have to you have to do something better. Think about the stimulus we get every day. You get into your car, what's the stimulus that you get out of the radio? You get to work, what's the stimulus you get from welcome back, oh it's good to see you, you know, everybody around you, you get to your desk, the stimulus with your boss, your colleagues or whatever. um what's the stimulus that they give you right the, the general stimulus you get from society is very much that you need to be performing you need to be, you you're supposed to be like you at the tip top you you're supposed to be like good like society actually when you say you know i actually there are three issues that i've discovered recently which society shuns right so depression oh Mm-hmm. the very terrible world right mm-hmm. yeah. then the second word add 
Mm-hmm. You know, which, you know, some people who have ADD actually are very good performers. They can do multiple things at the same time. But, oh, you have ADD. Oh, yeah, yeah, you have a learning deficiency. That's that's anxiety. Oh, my God. I, I think society has a major role to play because adult mm-hmm. programming is, the emotional programming out of society is really, really bad. I'm going to try and give it an answer. because, But it's actually the question my mom asks me. It's like... Mm-hmm. Where does this come from? Like, where is this all coming from? Because I don't come, like, I come from, if you look at all my family and my background, they're all, you know, they're all quite happy, mellow, like, you know, just easygoing people, like no pressure. Like there was never any pressure in school. Like there was never any pressure in like terms of what job or which career. So I think very different from the way Dio got brought up. It was like, well, you go and do whatever. As long as you're happy, just go and do whatever you want. And, you know, at some point I wanted to go and study film. And then there was never any discussion around that. It was like, yeah, if you want to do it, you try and get in and like try and do whatever you want to do. But I've had this, I've had this kind of go getting, whatever you call go getting. I've had it since really, really early age, mm-hmm. really early. Like it was, uh, you know, I was like always like really striving and trying and then also trying to do a lot of things. From the, you know, it wasn't just going to be going to school. I had all these like music instruments to play and ballet and activities and, you know, and I was always busy and I was always doing things and always wanted to bring myself in. Um, so I wonder if some of that, you know, mm-hmm. where does it come from? Because it clearly doesn't come from my parents. My brother doesn't have it either, mm-hmm. uh, nor does my family. But there is something I think that David just said that just triggered something in me. And he said, it's that will, wanting to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and that could be many different reasons, but we had, when I was very little, we moved from Sweden to Germany and, you know, it was a bit of an unsettling time. And I think at that, you know, I was the oldest daughter and I just wanted things to work. Mm-hmm. So if I was good, there was at least no one who had to worry about like yeah. about me. Right. So it was always like, so I think it might come a little bit from that and trying mm-hmm. to just do what what's expected and do what's good. And I think women have a little bit of that anyway. Right? Yes. I was, yeah. conform and, you know fit into whatever molds there are yeah Um, but I think it's an interesting question because my mom asks me that as Mm. well so it's not something Mm. I do not come from that background whereas a lot of my friends now they come from backgrounds where the parents were very successful and you know everyone is competitive and I just don't have that background at all yeah (laughs) I think it's a it's a great question uh you know it's interesting because we use a tool a I mean like most companies like uh, this uh, personality tools to to assess uh, people when they hire and you can tell when somebody has that drive right I mean in in, in the the tool we use is like one little piece that you know okay this person is that driven person and we're kind of looking for that type of people when we hire uh but the funny thing is so the consultant who, who we use for that they say you know you can, you can evaluate someone as li- as young as 11 years old and you already know they have that right and mm-hmm. the, i wonder what creates that as, as anna is saying right i mean is because it, it, it's not necessarily nurture uh um i mean so it's the, the old age question is it nature or nurture right mm-hmm. I mean, there may be a little bit of both they both yeah. Uh, uh, yeah but in most cases there's some childhood experience that yeah. that drives you to to do something right and and uh i mean as you said maybe in your case being in a challenging environment or just need wanting to be accepted in a certain group and and and, and those type of things but uh and, and and it is very common in firstborns as well yes um it's firstborn, you're firstborn, you're firstborn. You're the baby, Dio. <laughs> Look at me like. <laughs> <laughs> totally. 
totally, totally. Go on, Nugo, I'm sorry. I have, I have the privilege of hindsight experience, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a rule necessarily, but but there's definitely something that happens in childhood that, that yeah. triggers a drive that doesn't happen to everybody. Um, right, exactly, and and I think this is this is why it's important to recognize that because we didn't rec- I didn't recognize that I'm a go getter until the burnout. It's so normal mm. to me to show up in the way that I've had been until then, because it started very early. Like Anna said, it was very early. I'm the first child. Um, there's a part of me who's very curious. And when I like something, I went really deep and I'm just like, I couldn't let go basically. And and there's also an expectations from my grandfather to all the grandchildren, okay, not just to me. Now I realize that one of the reasons why that he always asks about academic performance is because he failed at uni once and he was completely humiliated by this. So it was becoming his thing because he understood how not good it is for his self-esteem and everything and how important is education. So based combination of this and, and the importance of education for Indonesia at that point, he... Only he only asked about this to all the grandchildren. So we became we all became quite studious, all of us, and um, and so it's nurture and in nature, but it also become very automatic. Unless somebody stop you or you stop yourself to say, "Why am I doing this?" Responsibility is another word here. I think we all connect to this word. We have we feel responsible. We we want to create less problem. And I can relate to Anna when, when you said this, Anna, because I'm like, yeah, I would like not to be, you know, a problem for anyone. Um, yeah, but it became automatic. Would you say this is also the reason why it's difficult to integrate self-love and self-care? Mm-hmm. That you just show up in life in the way that you had It just been? doesn't exist. I mean, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It just doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like it's not. It's never something you you think about. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. You just kind of strive and you do and you wanna you get on. And it's interesting because it's like, how do you ensure you don't get that to your first words of your own children, <laughs> right? So as you were just talking, all of you, I was just reflecting. I would say my firstborn, she's a total go-getter. Like it's, uh, you know, she's like the student class speaker already, and. Uh, you know, is, has has been from super early age, two years old. She was able, like, to you know, really in a nice way. She was, she knew what she wanted, and she was able to corral people around it, and and she was everywhere and doing everything. And and you know, and I could just see a lot of these traits. I can see where it's getting to. So I think one of the things is how do you teach people around mm. you start yes. taking care of themselves? And it's literally a conversation I have with her every now and then because I can see how she puts herself already now, age 10, second, mm. um, to, you know, it's, uh, so it's quite an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I will say for self-love, and that's why I, I separated the two, I, I, I haven't really experienced, for self-care, sorry, I haven't really experienced that much of a challenge, maybe because I had an example, right? Mm. I mean, that's, uh, so my dad, he was a banker and he was a university teacher at night, right? So he worked a basically lot. jobs and, and worked a lot. Oh, wow. And and um, but he took 
care of himself. I saw him exercising, for example. He had like equipment to exercise and uh, I saw him taking time to read. He enjoyed reading and, and I inherited those things. I mean, not I absorbed them, not inherited. I, I really <laughs> saw, saw saw him doing it. So so it came natural to me to say, yeah, you know, you need to care, take care of yourself, you need to exercise, you, you need to take some time for yourself and read. And, 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 and to me, that's always been a way of self-care, right? I mean, mm-hmm. make sure I work out and I take some time to read because I, I, I love learning, right? And even when I was traveling, because I, I mean, I've had, I mean, maybe not as, as much as you guys, 70% of the time, but, you know, up to 50% of the time I was traveling and uh, I found time on airplanes to read, meditate, enjoy a good movie or something, you know, just find a, that, use that time for myself. Um, so, so, so in fact, when the pandemic started, that's one of the things I missed. I was like, okay, I, 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 I'm missing that time on the plane to read a book or, or to watch a movie by myself, <laughs> uh, which is <laughs> funny, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know why, why that happened, but, uh, but my point is, I think the self-care can come if you develop the habit. Um, and it yeah. may be, or at least na- for me, it was a natural habit that, that I just saw my dad and, and I, I took on. But but I think uh, if you decide to do it and you, you start doing it, um, then it just becomes a need. Um, and, and you almost, uh, if, if you don't have it, you, you crave for it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's very interesting. So, you know, Hugo yourself as a firstborn, Anna as a firstborn, uh, and I look at my elder sister, uh, me being the lastborn out of seven kids, I mean, your traits are no similar, right? Completely. And then, obviously, Ade is a firstborn. I, I mean, Ade, after working with you for all the time, it's like, you know, you're waking up, you're like, okay, wait, wait, you need to get, get this thing. You know, so I, I can see those traits already. So there's an element of nature, nature, that comes with the firstborn not want to be, like, I, I like what Anna said, not wanting to be the problem child, but wanting to be the example but you know what? Your parents are probably drilling in you. To, and, and this is the sort of the emotional tape recorder that they are kind of putting in your brain and continuously saying it. And then at some point in time, you're saying it to yourself and that tape recorder is just on play 24-7, right? So I can actually, when I think about my elder sister and I think about Hugo yourself, Ade, I can see it. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's really... That's, it's actually something I've not thought about when I think about my two kids, and it's something that I, I really should spend a bit of time on to see it. But I can, I can, I can still see it. Um, and then the flip side is like me as a last one, and I think about, you know, Hugo, what you just said about habits, and I realize that from my parents, probably the industriousness is probably the habit that I got the most. But it was more like you need to perform, you need to. That that's their messages as one and the same. But it's from my siblings that I've developed habits of self care. Of like, you know, one of my brothers was a massive sports guy. You know, was in the Kenya team rugby, and you know, he's always been like a guy who takes care of his health. And it's like, oh yeah, I always wanted to be like him. So. I got into rugby, I got into sports, I still do my cycling today, he takes care of him, I take care of myself. Then one of my sisters really loved cooking and she's like, she makes, I mean, even now she still does cakes for weddings and all this kind of, oh, I like cooking and, you know, I like baking and all that. So it's like from my siblings, I've kind of picked up habits, um, which I would say I've kind of formulated me more than from my parents, but because I had the I, I literally had the chance because the gap between 
myself and them was quite large enough that I had the chance to observe, right? But yeah, I, th- I think it comes down to, I really like that idea of habits, right? Um, it's, 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 certain habits can help you really create some self-care, right? Um, now, self-love for me, that that that's a very emotional, yeah. you know, thing. Right? I, I'm I'm still challenged. I I don't know how to define it properly, but I think there's, it's a very psycho psychological mm-hmm. individual thing, right? Mm-hmm. For me, just to comment on this, is self love for me one if I if I think about it, it's basically acceptance and mm. acceptance that at any given time that I am good enough and what I do is enough. Mm-hmm. For me, this is what it comes down to. And oh, it takes me 46 years <laughs> to feel a bit much, to be in a place where I'm at now where I can actually say that's enough for today. It's okay. Take a, you know, go for a walk, take a break, sleep longer, chat longer with, you know, your sister, whoever, but it takes mm. some time to get there for me. And I think good, good is good enough. Mm-hmm. I think that that is something that you know. I, I'm I'm happy that I've kind of started learning that. Mm-hmm. Um, Hugo said something earlier, right? It's all these titles and all these things. They don't really mean anything in the end. Mm-hmm. And it's such a relief when you just kind of because I had I had eight really big titles when I left my job last September, like global head of this and EMEA leader of that, et cetera, et cetera. But it means nothing in the end, right? It really means nothing. And I think it's so such a nice feeling I feel right now, where it's like mm-hmm. I don't have any ambition to get titles, right? I just want to do a really good job for my clients. I really want to help people grow professionally, et cetera, right? I want to be there for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of self-love is like also saying, well, now it's, it's good enough, right? I can close the laptop. I can go and do something else. And I don't have to. And it's, it's hard work, though, getting there yeah. because you've been so conditioned for so long. Yes. The other thing I was going to say around self-care, I wonder if for people like us, sometimes it even becomes like a competition to show enough self-care. So, you know, are we getting mm-hmm. into enough exercise? Are we eating the yes. right food? Yes. Are we eating the right food? Yeah. I mean, how many yoga yeah. sessions did you do? And I felt exactly. that as, as COVID was hit, I mean, it got really, you know, it got a bit crazy at some point. And I actually said at some point, I was like, this is just putting even more pressure on me, right? Like, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I just said, well, let's do the things. And then it's also okay if I have that piece of chocolate every yeah. now and then, maybe a few more, or, you know, I skip that mm-hmm. session. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that in itself, like, you know, it's it's becomes craziness in itself and trying to keep up with all of that and become stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I consciously now choose what I do. And I also consciously say it's fine not to be perfect. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. I actually think I actually think that self love, sorry, self care. We can talk about it, and you can think you've got self care, but if you don't have self love, which is you have a really kind of deep understanding of yourself, you can end up in a situation that self care ends up being back into the automatic programming of life, right? Um, because you know, self love really means you probably need to be very clear about who you are and that's 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 a, a long challenge right mm. I mean I mean I don't know what you guys think mm. 
In fact, I was just thinking of Maslow's uh, pyramids of needs, right? And uh, self-actualization is at the top, right? So I was thinking, you know, ah, what? Mm -hmm. self-love and self-care are part of it, right? Because it requires you to be aware of who you are, aware of your needs and, and all those things. So, so, so it's definitely, we need to get there. I mean, we need to have self-love and self-care to get to that self-actualization level that is at the top of uh, Maslow's yeah. of our needs, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. One of the things I looked into during COVID, I had a bit of time as well as we all did, right? So I managed to get this, um, I think it's called the Science of Wellbeing course that they have at Yale, which is, it's their most popular course. And it's really targeted to all these Yale students who are super ambitious, but for Coursera, it's open to everyone. And what you learn there is really like, it starts off with a couple of lecture on what makes people happy, right? And mm -hmm. it's, guess what? It's not the big car it's not the big house it's not the big titles right um it's it's actually having purpose um having meaningful connections mm -hmm. and giving um and its experiences as well right so it's all the things that actually don't cost a lot of money yeah. um mm. and so i think that's and that's and that's why you're never happy so you get that amazing title in the job or you get that amazing you know first degree or grade and then but you're still not as happy as you expected you would be, right? And the happiness kind of goes down very quickly again versus if you actually help someone give something, you know, that's where you create much more sustainable happiness or have experiences, connect mm -hmm. with people. Um, so that's something I can really recommend because it's like it's 10 weeks with small little exercises to just kind of reinforce. And it's all super self-evident. It's all like, you know, of course, that makes all sense. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it's good to get reminded of it. <laughs> yes. Definitely. I also learned through, you know, getting into this healthy level of self-love. I give myself permission to ask for help. This was the hardest for me. And I and I have concluded through my journey is not a female male thing. It's it's what we what our automatic programming has been more like rather than gender related, because it's a uh, this part, so I said to myself, I'm a female in a female body, but through the go-getting, my masculine side is very developed. I think, I act, I acquire, I move forward. And through getting into the self-love, that part of me, which is much more the feminine uh, traits of who I am, asking for help, reflecting, feeling, feeling, feeling was difficult for me until the burnout. This had um, grew in the journey of getting healthier level of self-love. What did you find along the way of loving yourself more? The only thing I can think of, and this may be just random thoughts uh, on it, but um, you know, it's, what I found and what I learned is that sometimes um, what gets in the middle of, of the self-love is, is two needs, uh, need to be right and need to be liked that we all have and, 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 yeah, and some stronger like than others, right? I mean, and uh, so when you have a, a strong need to be liked, what gets in the way of your, of your self-love is like, oh, if, if I'm not feeling accepted or liked by these people or this group of people or whatever, then that that's, gets in the way of my self-love, right? Uh, and the other one, I mean, I, I, I definitely have both strong and and, uh, and the need to be right, uh, that's the one I had to fight harder, uh, harder because it's more like you've built a set of beliefs and if something contradicts your set of beliefs, then your 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 image of yourself starts going down because like okay well then maybe I was wrong then and I've, I've been wrong all this time mm -hmm. about what I believed uh, so so that gets in the way too so what I found is like 
in, in a journey for, for self-love or self-acceptance, it's uh, important to separate those things, right? It, it, I don't have to be right. And in fact, I should be with an open mind of learning something new and, and, and challenging everything I believe in. And I don't have to be liked by everybody, right? I mean, I may do things that, that uh, um, are uh, against what other people like or want me to do, but that, that's okay, right? Because I, I have to be free to be myself. And those are the two things that I've learned, um, to, to, I guess, to, the, to remove out of the way so that, so in, in that journey for self-acceptance and self-love. I thought that Maybe was I'll so approach. beautiful. Go ahead. Yeah. I just thought it was so beautiful when you said, it's like, it's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I did, I did as well. I mean, Ugo, honestly, that was that was like a profound. That was a nice. That was very profound. Like yes. I, you've got all of us going. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> 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 That's the great thing about these conversations, right? I mean, when, when there's thoughts, yeah, from, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You've definitely got all of us like going. I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, that that is very different. That I didn't, I didn't expect that. And actually, like. You know, I thought getting into this conversation is about learning, and I am learning, so that's that's a good thing. Hooray! Um, you know, I I probably that question I would uh, not 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 maybe I'd approach it from a different way, just from my own interpretation. And um, as I say, like for me, there's there's a lot of questions I still have. I'm still trying to understand the idea of self care and self love. And self love for me is I find is the most difficult. Self care seems to be a lot easier than mm. self-love, right? Um, but, I, you know, so I, my career journey, so I got into renewables and I've, you know, in the last six years been very successful, Do you know, build projects. We're building a wind farm. We've been involved in so many aspects of bringing, you know, uh, good and the idea of green energy or also even just societal healthcare. Like whereas one of the key achievements that I've had in the last couple of years. So that's that really, you know, universal healthcare and achieving in a community in, in Kenya that just makes me very happy that I've achieved this. But what I've realized is that the individuals making those decisions um, to invest in, you know, a wind farm or in universal healthcare at the end of the spectrum of some level of thinking that say that this was the right thing to do. Now, the question is, are they doing it just for monetary benefit or are they doing it because they profoundly believe in it, right? That made me then start questioning the, you know, especially with renewable energy. It's very easy to talk about a wind farm as being green and that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But truly, is it a good thing just because it makes money? Is it a good thing because you believe in it? So, What's the journey for the person who decides to put their investment dollars? And that kind of led me back up the chain and realized for, to the realization that the bigger influence, you can influence so much more if you get people to realize the idea of sustainability and you get, and the history of sustainability is so deep, right? I mean, if you think about every one of the cultures we come from, Hugo, you've got one of the richest cultures, just like myself, right, uh, in Latin America. If you look at the way they communed with, you, you know, the Amazon and the forests, and they lived a very sustainable life. It's the same in Africa, right? If you look at the indigenous culture, they lived a sustainable life. If you look in Europe and you look at the culture of how people lived in societies, why the cities are where they are today, you'll find a very clear sort of Con subconsciousness around sustainable living, right? 
I mean, Germany, for example, went through so many years of deforestation and realization that they need to reforest to what they are, what they what they have today. And we don't realize this idea of that coexistence and systemic thinking between ecology, the society, and the economy, right? So that then, you know, has kind of got me into this idea that actually maybe up the chain is where you drive a lot more influence as opposed to down the chain, which is just the investment decision, right? Um, and I'm hoping that I can, you know, really channel to do more around sustainability because up the chain, you the more you influence people to understand the idea of coexistence and sustainability, the better. And that's the systemic. So the, the main point for me is systemic thinking. You are responsible for everything that happens to you, right? That's mm-hmm. everything to do with self-care, right? But self-love also goes into you understanding that me as an individual, I have so much influence in everything that happens around me. And so the decisions I make for myself have a systemic influence on actually the events that unfold around my life, right? Um, as we are talking and I'm thinking about what, what I'm doing and where I'm thinking and what I'm trying to you know, channel my career to it, I actually see a very strong correlation. But it comes down to that idea of systemic thinking. You, you, there's the individual. A lot of the discussion today is self-love, self-care. So self. But there's self is just a precursor to you know, the bigger society and our influence in the bigger society. So there's a, there's a need for us to also have that consciousness that it leads to a bigger systemic sort of, you know, engagement, right? Let me see if I can pull the two things we just heard together because <laughs> both of them triggered thoughts in me as I was, was listening, right? Do you just say self-love, it's the realization that you can influence and you can you can influence what's going on around you. You're not a victim of your surrounding. Um, and I think going back to what Hugo said, what gets in the way is being liked and being right. Um, and I think sometimes people, at least people like, like me or like, like us, maybe we just kind of go with the flow and we don't want to, I don't want to interrupt, right? And I don't want to do something that, that might not be. And I'm going to give you a very concrete example, right? So, so last year, you know, I had a very big choice to make, right? Do I just stay in the, the marriage I was in? Because that's the, that was the society expectation is you stay married, you stay there for the kids, you, stay, you kind of work it out. And that's really the kind of mindset I'd had growing up. Um, and similarly, I was in a job situations where I wasn't very happy either, right? I wasn't probably having the impact on society that I wanted and things weren't going as I wanted it. But again, you know, just want to be liked and want to be right as well and prove that, no, no, it's all perfect. Taking that choice, I think, is the ultimate kind of evidence, not just of self-care, but of self-love and saying, no, I'm going to like, I'm going to do a very uncomfortable decision that doesn't actually align with how I, you know, how I wanted to my life to look like and be like. But I'm going to go out on a limb because I think longer term, it's going to be better for me. I'm going to take, you know, me as my whole. I'm going to survive this better rather than kind of going with the flow of what society expects from me, both from a professional perspective, but also from a private perspective. And it's a hard choice because also, you know, you're going to impact 
not just your spouse, but also the kid, children, the family around you, everyone gets impacted at your employee. It's all the employees that you have in your group. It's the people you've worked with. Um, and my work was my, you know, my second family. My team was my second family. Mm-hmm. So it was really, really hard choices to make. But I think in the end, it was, you know, the combination of, you know, taking that because it's it's really about preserving yourself and putting yourself up for possibly a better situation in future. And also back to Dio, what you're saying, giving you the opportunity to actually have the right impact, not just on your life, but also on broader society because you as a person are whole. What would be your advice to people who are ready to go into this path of self-love and self-care now? Go slow to go fast. I would say the same. Yeah. It's interesting. I experience the same, Anna. When I go slow, I grow more. So then I become faster. Yeah. I would say know yourself and invest in yourself first. I think, I mean, at least I say it for myself. Um, when I started as an entrepreneur, I was investing in the company, right? And and I was like uh, putting everything back in and stuff like that. And there were a lot of things that I wanted to do for myself, like personally, I, 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 that, that I was like, no, no, that's I have no time for that right now. Uh, afterwards, I've been able to do a lot more. I mean, personal growth courses and things like that that have been really good for me, right? And 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 uh, you know, I, I realized I should have done it first. Uh, you, you you invest in yourself first. And, and uh, Warren Buffett once said, "The best investment you can make is in your own, uh, in yourself." Right? I mean, and 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 I think it is true. I mean, and there are a lot of tools out there that are really cool. I mean, I, and I just mentioned one that is free uh, uh, that I think it would be super interesting. I haven't heard of that, but um, but I think. Uh, uh, it's it's worth taking the time to invest in yourself and especially to invest in things that will allow you to have more self-awareness, right? To know yourself better, to understand your weaknesses, your strengths, uh, you know, all those things that we talked about um, that may get in the way of, of self-love. If, if, you, if you can remove those barriers early enough, I think the, the ride is going to be, uh, I don't know if I would say easier, but it, it may be more fun. <laughs> right. So I'm going to steal from... Uh a book that I've been, I'm going through right now, it's about sustainability and, you know, the history of sustainability by this uh, professor out of Alberta University, uh, Caradona. And um, so he's been kind of talking about people who are proponents of sustainability, sort of being able to reclaim sort of this position together with economists. So we're now getting economists uh, who are activists, we're getting scientists who are becoming activists. So it's you know, it's people with experience are actually realizing that there's an issue for us with our coexistence that they, they're willing to put their profession aside and actually say, I'm, I'm willing to be an activist for it. And, you know, there's a reclamation of this, you know, very strong. If you think about the history of the world and you think about um, industrialization and then on the back of industrialization, so where we are today, um, so sorry, a greater revolution which is the, the first industrialized first sort of change for the world and then uh, population growth spread out of the world and then you've got the industrialization starting out of the the, the uk uh, and then now you know the age that we are in that it's a very very technology driven and there's a element of reclamation that's going on with experts right so i think the first thing i would think about is 
if I was just to think about pure self-love, I'll steal from you know something that he talked about is you know this is an opportunity to kind of reclaim for yourself, the, you know, reclaim the self. It's an opportunity to figure out and reconnect to what makes you you. And in the process of doing that, you're probably going to re- you know, find a rebirth of what really makes you you, right? And mm-hmm. with the consciousness that you have and the knowledge that you have, the experiences that you have, you're a better person based on all of those to make a, de- a better decision about where you want to go, right? So I, that's kind of how I look at it, right? Thank you, dear beautiful. And from my side, I think I would say start with an end in mind. Be, having buried both of my parents, there is a cathartic understanding that who they are actually what matters most and the relationships that we all have with them actually what matters most. We don't even talk about anymore about, you know, my, what my dad did or, you know, what kind of accolade he had throughout his life, but who he is as a person, the values he stood for, and also the same with my mother. And I think, um, I think Seneca was saying that in order for you to truly live, you need to know how you would like to be when you die. So what I would suggest to keep that, you know, start with an end in mind. And on this note, I would like to say thank you to all my guests for such an honest, contemplative, deep reflections on this topic. I hope this is going to spark a lot more conversations between the listeners and their circle of people. And maybe in the future, we can have this conversation again, spin it from a different angle. I just would like to say I'm very grateful, very grateful for your openness and all speaking from the heart, sharing your experience. And I believe that this is going to touch so many people. You have touched me for sure. Thank you for being here. Yeah, this is a fun yeah. conversation. We got to do it more often. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, for all the listeners out there, please take whatever you want and you can from these conversations. And I will see you again in the next episode. Bye for now. <laughs>